What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back to the program. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is uh, John Pavlovitz. He's a, a writer, a pastor, an activist. He's the author of three books, including Stuff That Needs to Be Said, which is the name of his popular blog. And his latest, uh, If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk. And uh, I thought this would be a fascinating conversation. Tell us the basic premise of your book. Where are you starting with this? I'm starting with the question of whether or not someone's expression of their personal faith yields a more compassionate or less compassionate world. And if it doesn't lead to a more compassionate world, what's the point of it? Speaking to a number of people in our country right right now who claim Christianity, but who don't seem at all burdened with the teachings of Jesus. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I did an extended rant the other day, a couple of days ago, about Matthew 25 and how, you know, nobody seems yeah. to be paying any attention to the, the one place in the New Testament where the disciples came to him and said, how do we get to heaven and hang out with you? And he said, here's what you do, you know, feed the hungry, uh, heal the sick, care for the, you know, care for the, 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 the refugees, uh, visit those in prison. And, and uh so, so exactly. how do we bring back the golden rule? I mean, it's, it's not, this is not just something embedded in religion. This is something that is, is larger than that. It's, it's, it, this is cultural as well, is it not? It is. I think it, it's a matter of making empathy trend again. It's about really lifting up compassion as one of the critical elements of being human, and that's regardless of whether you're religious or not. And so the work I do is trying to reach people in that place of empathy and to begin to imagine that someone else's experience of America or life or the church is not their own and to endeavor to understand that experience so that they can be agents of healing and kindness and and generosity. How how do you see that happening? I mean, we've, this is not, obviously, I mean, we could go back to the Crusades, we could go back to uh, right. it, it, back to arguably to the crucifixion. I mean, this is not the first time that we have seen violence in the name of religion. Um, and, and it seems to be a recurring theme, frankly, in organized religion throughout the history of the world. Um, how do we make that cultural shift here in the United States? Or, or, or for that matter, you know, it seems like the largest Christian denomination that has, or Christian group, uh, you know, uh, there are 
subsets of it all over the place um, that that have embraced Trump and have embraced racial hatred and have embraced, um, you know, uh, the antithesis of the golden rule have been the white evangelicals. How do you That's speak right. to these folks? I mean, you're a pastor. How do you speak I, to these folks? I, th I think where I'm always trying to reach them is from their fears, because what Trump, what the evangelical right has done is leverage all those fears, those phobias, those prejudices, and created a faith that needs an adversary, that's, that always requires a battle posture. And if I can get some people of faith to understand that they don't have to be motivated in that way, that they don't have an enemy that's always encroaching, and they can understand that there's an interdependence that they have with other human beings, that they're not in competition, that someone else's gain is not their loss. And when we can begin to do that, and they can have a faith that is viewed through that interdependence and that, and that place of empathy, they're going to naturally want to be collaborators with people and not in competition with them. But built into Christianity is this idea, and, and, and many other religions as well, but you know, we're speaking here of Christianity, I suppose, um, is this idea that there is an incarnation of evil in, in Satan or Lucifer, or whatever you want to call him, or it, um, and that, it, that, that incarnation of evil is an opponent both of, of Christ and of average people, and that you know, that seems to be, in my mind, what's informing so much of the evangelical movement. I mean, they're, they're literally um, calling people who don't believe in their politics evil. Right. And that's always been the, the easier way to get, have a shorthand to want to caricaturize people and place them in a you know, dualistic setting, whether they're the, the saved or the damned. And that's what religion at its worst has trafficked in. And if you can uh, strip away some of that and help people understand the story that they've been raised in, you know, these are people, many of them, who have been raised for decades with a, uh, an angry, vengeful God who is out to squash them or is out to um, squash other people. And so that when you can, when that aggression is built into your faith story, it's a really difficult thing to remove. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Read Jeremiah or Isaiah or or uh, right. uh, Joshua, I mean, it's, but, but the, the um, you note in the book that hell is incompatible with a loving God. How do you make that argument to Christians who are still using hell as a, as a, uh, a tool to control behavior? You know, uh, uh, little Johnny, don't steal from the store, you'll go to hell. Right. Well, I, I, it started for me in, in examining Jesus' teaching to his disciples on forgiveness. And Jesus is essentially saying, every time someone asks you for forgiveness, you need to provide that for them. And the idea of hell is really not applying that standard to God. It's, it's God saying, I can get to the point where I'm so fed up with you that I am going to exclude you for good. And that, to me, is just not, it's not simply something that the character of a God who is love could possibly do. And, and if God is God, then that God is going to out-love and out-forgive and out you know, wait us. And so I came to the conclusion that a God who knows me intimately then knows exactly my fears and flaws and is not going to hold those things against me for eternity. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it this is, uh, you know, I've, I've often uh, talked about how uh, it's not, it, 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 some of these churches 
frankly would not want me. It's, I mean, it's, it's, you, you talk, you talk, you talk in your book about how American evangelism or evangelicalism is built on this faulty premise that God is a white cisgender heterosexual man born in America, raised Christian, votes Republican. Um, right. uh, you know, the, the patriarchy and hierarchy have, to the best of my recollection, always been part of uh, both Judaism and Christianity. I mean, this, the, this goes back thousands of years. How do you challenge that? I think the best way you do that, Tom, is to go back to what are the teachings of Jesus? What was the immediate community that he was building? What was the, in the wake of his life? And that was not about consolidating power, and it was not about dictating the laws of the land. It was this movement of the street. It was relational, and it was about making sure that everyone had what they needed. And so if we can keep trying to refer to that and move people away from a Christianity that has market share or that has political dominance, it was it has had that for history, but it's not meant to have those things. It functions at its best when it is um, interpersonal, when it is a, a lower-level, street-level thing where people are made, there's less suffering in its wake, there's less hunger and less need. Yeah, yeah John, you've, uh, we're talking about John Pavlovitz. You, you, um, you are calling to the better angel, to our better angels. You are, you are uh, asking for the best of us, you know, in our, in our religion, and I, I salute you for that. Uh, his new book, If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk, Finding a Faith That Makes Us Better Humans. Let's talk about, for a moment about America and politics, John. You, you uh, read about this at length. You've got your blog over at johnpavlovitz.com, J-O-H-N-P-A-V-L-O-V-I-T-Z.com. You're talking about all Americans know January 6th was an insurrection. Decent ones care. What's your point? Mm. I've been a pastor for over two decades, Tom, and what I started to realize midway through that was hey, the thing that I'm a part of actually seems to be perpetuating all these injustices and all these phobias. And what what I've seen ever since, I started to speak more explicitly into matters of politics in 2016 because I realized we were at a place of very specific urgency. And I'm, with 81% of evangelicals voting for Trump, I really needed to explicitly declare as a white cisgender heterosexual pastor in America that these are the values as I see them of Jesus, and then this is this thing, this Republican theocracy that's trying to happen. And so you look at something like January 6th, and you see people, professed people of faith, completely denying reality in front of them. And if we can't have a, a love for the for elemental truth, for objective reality, then we have no business talking about morality at all. But doesn't objective reality sometimes fly in the face of religion? For certain, and I think that's when your faith needs to come to bear upon the situation. So I, I know so many people, I talked to thousands over the past few years who they're still Republican because they've always been Republican. They're still in the Christian church because they've always been, even though they know someone like Donald Trump is antithetical to the, the life of Jesus, and they know that the Republican Party has become something that Jesus would not recognize as of him, and yet they're, they're compelled to stay there. And so sometimes we have to make hard decisions, and I'm always trying to call people of faith to that, to say, if I have to break away from my family, my church community, 
to to live my faith more explicitly, then I need to do that. Yeah. You you also, you were writing about how COVID stole one year, the unvaccinated stole another. I want to continue the conversation about how do we deal with our unvaccinated brothers and sisters and, and, and all of us. And also this issue of what does pro-life mean? I think these are, are interesting uh, topics worth, worth a deep dive. Engaged in this conversation, our conversations with great minds with John Pavlovitz. So, John, in your blog, you're talking about first year was a COVID problem. The second year, 2021, the year that we just completed, was a problem of uh, lack of vaccination. Uh, you want to first expand on that a little bit? I think that the pandemic, which was actually when I started writing this book, Tom, was in March of 2020. And the, the growing disbelief that a group of people of faith were the most resistant to masks and then later to vaccines and there is such a cognitive dissonance there that I, I can't fathom. But to see so many people who seem to be waiting for this vaccine that could get us out of this mess, and yet now they are doubling down on refusing it, and yet still claiming they're people of faith, and as we'll talk soon, that they're pro-life. And how you can be pro-life and yet anti-health and safety is um, something that I don't think many of the Christians we confront on those issues are capable of even verbalizing what their thought process is right now. What, what, is, the, what is the sales pitch that is being made in the evangelical community? Uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've heard the, the kind of the variation on snake handling, you know, that God will protect us. In fact, it might, mm -hmm. this might even be a way of testing our faith. Um, that's that's been a big one actually over the last two years in many of the uh, charismatic churches. Um, what are what are what about that and these some of these other arguments that these right wing pastors are making to to argue against getting vaccinated and against wearing masks? Yeah, I think I don't think for the most part people aren't doing aren't refusing it on those grounds. Those are probably the more extremists, but. The people who are sort of in the middle, they've just been convinced to invest fully in tribalism, that their their identity is so caught up with whether it's Trump or the Republican Party being right or winning, that they're that they're willing to set aside objective data and what they probably know to be true. It's almost a, a self-preservation of their their religious or their political ideology and that they're willing to really literally die for it. And that's the saddest part is talking to friends and relatives. You know, we talk about all these issues and it's really the relational fractures of all this stuff is, is really huge. Do you, do you think that, uh, I mean, obviously the flock has been led astray. My recollection is that in, I think at the fourth chapter of John um, or first John, um, there was, there was uh, a rant about beware of the ravening wolves who are coming, coming to you disguised yeah. as sheep. Is that Donald Trump? I think it's, it's a complete um, characterization of really the religious right and what it's done to create over the past few decades something that is predatory and yet adored by the people who are being preyed upon the most. So I, I see Donald Trump as embodying it in a, in a very different way than most politicians have. I think he has had the audacity to speak the things that they that they believe but would never say because of some thin veneer of decorum. Yeah. And what that's done, it's released a lot of people to embrace the worst of themselves. Yeah. Now that I think back to it, I think that's, that's toward the tail end of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, actually, isn't it, in, in Matthew?
Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And welcome back. We're talking with John Pavel. That's about his new book here uh, in our Conversations with Great Minds series today. His new, his new book, If God is Love, Don't Be a Jerk. John, when I was a kid, in fact, actually right up until the mid-70s, in my recollection, um, probably the first 25 years of my life, there was this movement called the pro-life movement, which was, they used to go out and, and demonstrate and protest and things. And what they were demonstrating and protesting against was the death penalty. Um, the, then, of course, you had 73 and Roe v. Wade, and within a couple of years, the anti-abortion movement had hijacked that, that term that had been used so, for so many years by the anti-death penalty movement. Um, what, in, in your mind, what does pro-life mean? How should it be reinterpreted uh, or re-understood by both people of faith and, uh, you know, secular folks who are, uh, you know, uh, wrapped up in this political sh scrum that we're in the midst of right now, uh, where, where this phrase is being used uh, very often as a weapon? I've always taken the phrase pro-life and, and tried to restate it. And so for me, the idea of pro-life should mean for humanity. And if I ask someone if they're for humanity and they say yes, and then I'm going to show them the ways that humanity is in jeopardy right now, whether that is health care or immigration or the environment or education, and I'm going to ask them to show me where the legislation that they support and the, and the politicians that they uplift are are really coming and undergirding that humanity in those ways. Because usually what pro-life means to a religious person is, I'm going to be against abortion. It's a form of easy activism. I can feel righteous, but not really have to change anything about my life, not confront my privilege, not have to really do anything to love people that I don't like. And so when I begin to push back in the other areas of what it means to have a consistent pro-life 
ethic, I think it falls away for so many religious people. And yet you yourself have uh, uh, taken kind of a partisan position. Uh, back in December, you wrote a blog called Why I've Lost Respect for My Republican Friends. It's a kind of an honesty about the people who I have, who have been my tribe. You know, being a pastor for 25 years in the local church, these are people that I've been to mission trips with and prayer meetings and churches and all sorts of life events. And I know what they believe. I know what they've seen and experienced about the world. And I need to keep speaking into that and telling them how disappointed I am to see what they've embraced and the way that they've been able to rationalize a really a callousness and a cruelty. I think that's the story here. It's not just a differing, uh, a differing view on on something or a different definition or different do you, uh, think, legislation. do you think it's important that we start confronting folks like this john we just have 20 seconds left i'm sorry yeah i think if we can't if we can't disagree with, if we have to have empathy if we have to have cruelty in everything we do i think it's never gonna it's never gonna build anything redemptive we have to have lenses of compassion that see our differences with and, and we seem not to i mean you know whether it's debates about gender or whether it's debates about immigration or whatever it may be it's it's uh, so unfortunate a great book if god is love don't be a jerk finding a faith that makes us better humans by john pavlovitz his website john pavlovitz j-o-h-n-p-a-v-l-o-v-i-t-z.com and also john pavlovitz on twitter john thanks for dropping by great talking with you thank you john my pleasure Yesterday, somebody called and said, is Donald Trump the Antichrist? And it stirred up quite a conversation. And so uh, yesterday afternoon when I got home, Louise and I were planning what shall we write for our daily rant tomorrow for HartmanReport.com. Now, I said it's got a lot more attention than I thought it would. I, I was actually surprised that as many people wanted to weigh in on it. So let's put it out as an idea. Is Donald Trump the Antichrist? You can take this one of two ways, right? You can either take it literally is he the guy described in Revelation or described elsewhere in the Bible? Is he the father of lies? Is, you know, is, is he actually that guy? And of course, you know, people called in yesterday with suggestions and some folks have uh, even added on Twitter. MAGA, for example, in Latin and multiple other languages means magic or sorcerer. His grandfather's name was Drumpf, D-R-U-M-P-F which has six letters. John is Johann in German, six letters. So his actual name would be Donald Johann Trump 666, just like Ronald Wilson Reagan. You know, he armed the Saudis for their bombing war against Yemen that now has five million people facing famine as the Saudis are blocking food arrivals. His family owns 666 Fifth Avenue. He fooled millions of evangelical followers of Jesus, just as the beast was supposed to have done. He put his own red hat MAGA mark on his followers' foreheads. He consorts with, quote, whores and criminals, end quote. That's kind of the biblical take, and maybe you want to add to that. But when you consider the secular take, what is the Antichrist in secular terms? It is basically the personification of evil. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he spoke in the plural, actually. He said, uh, false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, are, but inwardly are ravening wolves. He warned his, his uh, followers of that. So, and he said, how do you know them? He said, by their fruits, you shall know them. 
So Trump's fruits are pretty obvious. I mean, over 20 women have accused him of rape and sexual assault. Hundreds of contractors, customers, and employees have accused him of stealing from them, as have members of his own family. He lied over 30,000 times just during the four years of his presidency. He pit Americans against each other by race, by religion, by region, in an effort to tear our country apart and strengthen his authoritarian rule. He openly encouraged violence against unarmed people at multiple rallies and encouraged state violence at a speech to chiefs of police. He tried to overthrow and end our democracy. He embraced murderers, kleptocrats, and strongman rulers while ridiculing Western democracies and their elected leaders. He tried to damage or dismantle the political and military systems designed to keep peace in the world, including the United Nations, NATO, and the, the uh, JCPOA, the, the Iran deal. He reaches out to Jesus' followers and then directs them toward bigotry, violence, and hatred. As an object of admiration and role, and as a role model, Trump has replaced Jesus in many white evangelical congregations. He delighted in carrying children from their parents and putting them in cages. He tried to end Americans' access to life-saving medical care by killing Obamacare and privatizing Medicare. He watched on TV like a delighted child as his followers killed a police officer, sent 140 others to the hospital, and tried to murder the vice president and speaker of the House. And he lied about COVID. After disclosing the truth to Bob Woodward back in February two years ago, causing a disease and deaths in America worse than any other nation on earth. I think the bottom line is Matthew 25. You know, in the last days, he was going to divide the sheep from the goats, and the sheep would go with him to heaven, and the goats would go to hell. His disciples were like, well, how do we get to be the sheep? And he says, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And at that point, his disciples freaked out and said, and I quote, When saw we thee hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we a, thee a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and came to you? And Jesus says, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. This is the essence of Christianity. It's the essence of every major religion in the world. And it is the exact opposite. This one place in the Bible, Matthew 25, where Jesus lays out for his disciples the one way to get to hang out with him in heaven. It is the exact opposite of everything Donald Trump has stood for his whole entire life and continues to politically. It's very straightforward. Feed the hungry, care for refugees, house and clothe the homeless, heal the sick, have compassion on those in prison. That's what the Bible says. That's what Christ says. To be Christ-like, you must do. Well, if you're doing the opposite, you would be anti-Christ-like, right? So, anyhow, <laughs> I'm not sure that he's the, a uh, spiritual antichrist. I think that there is a, are dark spiritual forces that surround him. But I think in a secular term, if we're using the term antichrist to describe someone who embodies evil or evil behavior, or bad behavior, shall we say, I think Trump certainly qualifies. What say you? You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Or are the people pulling Trump's strings the Antichrist? I don't know. Or is he pulling theirs? Harold in Arlington, Virginia. Hey, Harold, what's on your mind today? Well, yeah, I'm a first-time caller, Tom, and I deeply appreciate your political and cultural analysis. Thank you, Harold. 
But I wanted to make a comment on the Antichrist question as a seminary student and someone who's interested in church history and theology. Biblical, modern biblical scholars have come to the same conclusion, at least the ones that use the historical critical method, uh, that you have, that it was about the Roman emperor during the first century. What we have now with American evangelicals and fundamentalists is what I would call futurism. In other words, they feel like the prophecies in Revelation were written for them, were written for the future 2,000 oh, years. Hal Lindsey got this ball rolling. I mean, it really started in the late 1800s, but Hal Lindsey yeah. in the 70s uh, put it on steroids with his book, The Late Great Planet Earth, and then it went into popular culture. Yeah, that's exactly right. The futurist idea, though, got its start in the in the Reformation or the post-Reformation period. After all, the reformers had identified the papacy as the Antichrist, not the Pope personally, but the institution of the papacy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that reformers. got the ball rolling in in terms of thinking the, for a futuristic framework. The other comment I wanted to make is that the Antichrist is a personification of evil is a little bit off. Personification of evil is, you know, what we call the devil. The Antichrist is more along the lines of, you know, by their own theology in, in evangelicalism, is more of a substitute messiah. So, I, so <laughs> ironically, Donald Trump has certainly been fulfilling that role. So I can see how some people might make that identification. But really, what we've got with Trump is the spirit of the Antichrist, not a literal person. Yeah, that's how, that's how I'm taking it. When he said, I am the chosen one, <laughs> it was like this yeah, collective I to fix it. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, no, he, he also said literally, I am the chosen one. And, oh, okay. Yeah. That's and right. I've, I've forgotten that, yeah. That has, you know, at the time he said it, uh, I remember making fun of it on the air, but there are people who took that seriously. Yeah, yeah. And the whole tragedy is, of it is you've got this, you know, major religious group in the U.S. that has, in fact, seemed to have transferred their affections to this new Messiah away from, you know, what we traditionally understand Christ is standing for. I mean, yeah. so there's, there's been that, that shift away. If nothing else, I would love to see this conversation that seems to be emerging around this issue to refocus us on core issues like Matthew 25, like, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, we do have an obligation, uh, whether you want to consider it religious, moral, cultural, you know, an aspect of humanity, that we do have an obligation to care for the for the homeless, to feed the hungry, to, to heal the sick, to, to have compassion for those in prison. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's so explicitly laid out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree with you there. That's the main ethical push for, from Christianity traditionally. Yep, I'm with you. Harold, thanks for the call. Thanks for your contribution okay. to the conversation. I appreciate it. CJ in Madison, Wisconsin says you disagree with me. So you go to the front of the line. What's up, CJ? Are you familiar with the uh, Pew Research on the religious landscape of America? Yeah, we've gone from like 70% of Americans being regular, regular churchgoers and considering themselves religious back in the 60s to like in the high 50% now, as I recall. Now, I'm doing this completely from memory. You probably have the right numbers right in front of you, but it's collapsing. Well, I've spent, a, I'm a retired engineer and I look at data, data, data. I'm crazy about it. I love, I love numbers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But um, so what are the actual numbers? What I found really interesting, and this is the sensitive thing. I don't know how to bring this up, but uh, my background—I was an evangelical fundamentalist, and we took the the scriptures literally. We literally believed that there was a talking snake, 
and the floodwaters that covered Mount Everest and a flying zombie god uh, was part of our common history as actual events and not deep metaphors and ancient authors in other cultures <laughs> used all the time. Right. And uh, well, that I can't debate with, but I'm pretty sure there's no uh, talking snakes, snakes don't have larynx, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We don't have to go there. But 30% of America believes this literally. 25% of them are distributed in the as Republican voters. And I was a Reagan youth in 1980. <laughs> I converted uh, to Christianity through, uh, I was a young man, uh, the normal person leaving the nest uh, had that angst, you know, you're out No, I, I get all that. I, I kind of went through a similar period myself, Tim. So, so what's the point you're trying to make? If you believe that these events are literal truths, then you can be quickly you believe anything. You'll believe in uh, stolen ballots or whatever, whatever yeah. you're told to believe. I, I do think that there is a correlation between the people who are the most fervent believers in the most far-out parts of fundamentalist Christianity and those who are willing to follow Donald Trump to the ends of the earth. I mean, it, it appears well, to be the case. And now you've got a bunch of them down in Dallas, uh, Dallas Texas, waiting for John well, Kennedy and his son. All to, that. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, the crazy stuff. I mean, that's where I came from. I came from a, I'm not going to name the church, but I, I'm going to name the movement in general. It was charismatic Pentecostal, but that's a, that's a broad umbrella. No, so I, there's no specific. I used to and go to a we, Church of God church in Lansing. I mean, I've been there, done that. Okay, there you go. I, I believe in, in some really crazy things, but I've changed, and I, I, I respect those that do, but... Yeah. Um, okay, so I got your so point, that's Tim. That's the biggest the, problem. So how, what do we do to convince people, hey, you know? <laughs> well, here's really the thing. You don't, you don't have to convince stolen. everybody. There is a small minority of people who are actually a substantial minority, as you point out, you know, who believe these things. And, and you know, there's people who believe that the earth is flat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, there's, and there's, people, there's people who believe all kinds of crazy stuff. Our main work, I think, is just simply to to reach out to the majority of people who are rational. And clearly, Tim, you know, what you're pointing out is that there is irrationality in that, in that world, in that sphere. I, I agree with you. Like I said, I've been there, I've done that, and I've seen it. You know, we need to get about dealing with what's real here right now. Nancy in Elkhart, Indiana. Hey, Nancy, what's on your mind today? Well, Tom, when you mentioned this idea about uh, Trump and his wanting to be antichrist, um, I've never heard things like that before, but our local news talked about a bill that we have here on the Indiana. It's called Bill 167, and uh, he evidently has convinced enough people that something needs to be done, and this would never have happened years ago. Uh, The bill has to do with what can be put in, in the teaching, and it has to do with what can be taught. Just like we've been hearing on the news with you know with our senators and things, yep. and one of the things is uh, teachers should not indicate what they feel, and everything should remain very neutral, such as teaching about Nazism and fascism, and there should they should teachers should not indicate that that's a bad thing, um, th- and they must. The, the bill is like thirty six pages long. I, I I googled it. Yeah. Yeah. And it also should be taught, you know, you should, if you're going to teach about democracy, then you also must, you must show the good things or what they've been taught, excuse me, what's been taught before on both sides. 
Right. And then the same thing, yeah, same thing uh, as far as just like we've heard that, I, that they've been doing, uh, when you're going to teach history, uh, if there were bad things going on, such as slavery, uh, then you have to kind of indicate why did they have it and what could have been good about it. Right. They I mean, this both is sides. Very, if they've convinced, you know, a senator uh, that, you know, that he's so great and they, they evidently. Oh, this is happening like, all over the country. This is happening yeah. all over the country. The, the guy, this, this right wing troll who started the whole critical race theory thing, and it took him almost a year. This started two years ago, the, the critical race theory thing, and or two and a half years ago, and 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 he'd been pounding on this thing for a while before Fox News picked it up, and once Fox News picked it up, boom, it went nationwide. Now his new thing is quote transparency. In other words, he wants every teacher in every school to have to post their curriculum online yeah. so the parents can decide whether or not they like it. And and I think that what we're going through is a period of hysteria, very much like we did in the 1950s when Joe McCarthy was out there. Uh, you know, doing his uh, House on American uh, Activities Committee, I think it was, it was called, uh, hearings where he was trying to find the communists in the State Department, trying to find the communists in the Army, trying to find the communists in our schools. I mean, this is just a modern-day version of that, and I'm with you. Raymond, in Junction City, California. Hey, Raymond, what's on your mind today? There's been a subject talked about today, you know, concerning talking to other people who you know, our family members and our neighbors about, you know, their views and things. And uh, honestly, in my experience, you know, uh, 99% of them don't care. You know, they don't want to hear it because then they have to admit they're wrong about something. You know, as I talked about my last call, you know, last week, this hurts that we, that we have these feelings towards people that we care about, that we, we can't relate to them anymore. We can't reconcile the fact that they express themselves as being fair people and generous people and kind people, and, but they support these ideas and these politicians. What are we supposed to do? I know. This you know? is, you know, back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, it was, I had friends, I knew people who had gotten swept up in cults, who became Moonies, you know, who were friends who joined the Hare Krishnas. And, you know, I don't see the Hare Krishnas as essentially evil or anything, but it was like, you know, you kind of mourn your, the loss of your friends who, who just got swept up in, in, a, in a cult and believe bizarre things and, and have gone off. They're no longer available as friends. And sadly, I think there's a really good analog to what's going on right now. But the Hare Krishnas, and, and not to trash the Hare Krishnas, probably the Moonies should be the ones I'm talking about more. But Raymond, I get it. I don't have an easy solution. I think, you know, mourning the loss of our... for these people to feel compassion and empathy. Yeah, well, you would hope. You would hope. Raymond, I got to run. You're Thanks. listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Bill in Rockford, Illinois. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Donnie Trump isn't the Antichrist. Charles Koch is the Antichrist. Well, I'm, I'm not willing to throw that label on any one non-governmental individual. <laughs> you know, he's... he's more than governmental. He, he started the Cato Institute, the uh, Federalist Society, the Heritage Foundation, American Enterprise Institute. Yeah, he didn't start all those, but you know, his money and his organizations and, were involved. And, in and my favorite is the American Legislative Exchange Council, also known as ALEC. Right. Which Christian Cinema and uh, Joe Manchin are card-carrying members of Alec. Yeah, there is no doubt, Carl, and thank you for the call. There is no no doubt that there are there's a group of right-wing billionaires, and obviously, you know, Charles Koch is one of them, who have been funding their worldview and very much funding their worldview, and their worldview tends to be uh, Ayn Rand libertarian, neo-libertarian, whatever you want to call it. Their worldview arguably is that, you know, uh, (laughs) that it is not the appropriate role of government to be doing, you know, so many of the things that, you know, we have traditionally always depended on government to do. And instead that, that, you know, what government should be doing is basically nothing. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 shall we say, problematic. Um, But anyway, Susan in Decatur, Georgia. Hey, Susan, what's on your mind today? We are infested over here in Georgia in COVID, I think, as bad as uh, Florida. Yeah. But anyway, I have your answer on Donald Trump. Okay, go uh, for from it. From 1989 on the Phil Donahue show. Quote, I have a really high IQ, Phil. I mean, come on. It's impossible for me to not be atheist, unfortunately. Oh, Donald Trump? An atheist. Yes, sir. Um, And also, I just I wanted to call because I have actually been traumatized why I haven't called lately that on Indigenous People Day, me and my uh, Hispanic Indigenous family went to Cherokee National Forest for a little short weekend getaway. And if no one has been to the border of Georgia and Tennessee and specifically a town called Teleco Plains, Tennessee, um, you can look that up. There are only white people there and every single mailbox, house, car, store, highway sign, state sign, store sign, everything has either an American flag a Confederate flag or a Trump flag. It's very dystopian. Wow. There's also another town. Um, it's like Tallulah or something like that, mm. maybe. Um, that's right at the very tip of Georgia, and they actually have like a shrine on a bridge that's completely covered with Trump flags, Confederate flag, neo-Nazi, Proud Boys, American flags. It's just got a whole plethora of white supremacy. 
So my plea to all white people listening to this is that you're going to have to confront your racist neighbors. Mm. You're going to have to tell them, stop, it's time. It's 2022, and it's time you stop flying the traitor flag and stop being a traitor. And if we can ban and make the Confederate flag illegal, maybe that will, you know, tweak some of these people out of being such a diehard Trumpy white supremacist. I don't yeah, know. I think I think making it illegal would would have the opposite effect. Nothing else, you know. Uh, I, I think making it illegal would have the opposite effect. But I but I think making it and uh, you know shaming people who display shaming the, the flag, them. the flag, of, them. yes, uh, who Shun display them. the flag of a, a, of a traitorous effort a that neighbor. failed. I'm with you. Don in Los Angeles. Hey, Don, what's on your mind today? Yeah, I did a very thorough survey on this entire subject. I studied for like almost 50 years. And the evangelical world is way off base about this whole thing. I think that the Antichrist will be a leftist guy, a new agey peacenik guy that uh, is a miracle worker, makes all the nations uh, come together, then he turns into a monster. And uh, it's completely wrong. It's, it's actually, he's a right winger, and he's part of a beast empire that's mentioned in Daniel 7's fourth uh, latter day empire, which is the United States, because we have 100,000 military bases outside of our own country, and uh, there's never been an empire quite like it. It's a kind of a de facto empire. And so you're taking this literally, this, Don? Yes, the, the Antichrist, or this, his, name, his name is the Beast, actually, in Revelation 13 and 17, and he's a Western political leader. He's not a religious figure. He's a, he's, um, the Antichrist has religious overtones, and this goes back to the Gnostic debate back in John's yeah, day. Yeah, but, but I mean, a lot of those details, uh, how he arose out of this group of countries, and I mean, there's a bunch of details in Revelation 13 that I think fairly clearly point to it being Nero. No, no, it's, it, it actually he arises, it doesn't, it doesn't say he arises out of a number of countries. He arises out of... Um, one country that has um, seven um, heads and ten horns. It's, it's representative right. of the old Roman Empire, but it's not the right. same. It's a lot of mystery. Too. It's a very, very difficult subject in terms of the mystery, and I don't know why God made it that difficult, but he expects us, obviously, to put our thinking caps on. But we don't want to do that. I mean, church people don't want to. They, they want to feel. They don't want to think, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I put a lot of effort into the studying this thing, and it is a Western political leader the head of a very powerful nation that is a benefactor of Israel, that turns on Israel at the end because nobody can control this guy, and uh, provokes a lot of uh, chaos in the world. Well, if he gets back into power, God help us. Um, and I don't believe in, in cheerleading this stuff on. A lot of people do, but yeah. I mean, that's yeah. incredibly reckless. I, I, that's, I, that's, yeah, I get it, Don. And, and, and I, you know, I... I, I I just have a hard time believing that that a, a creator would say, "Okay, I'm going to create a good guy and a bad guy, and I'm going to give them all this power, and I'm going to let them do all these things." And it just, I, it doesn't. I don't know. Well, that's, that's an age-old religious question about good and evil, and where and it came why from, would God yeah, allow and, and it. why it happens, yes, no. all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's all about allegiance to God and. Or at least to goodness. I mean, you know, I I really think that our, what would you call it, secular analogs to it. Tony in Fort Worth, Texas. Hey, Tony, what's on your mind today? I dealt with this when Obama was president and my Christian 
conservative evangelical in-laws were talking about how he was the Antichrist. And I pointed out one detail. The Antichrist does not appear until after the rapture. And if all of the Christian conservatives are still talking about the Antichrist, Obama, not Trump, they missed their chance because the rapture involves involved God calling his first and foremost true believers, and the rest that are left behind are left to suffer the wrath of the Antichrist during the, for the Great Tribulation, which I believe is seven years. So, so, so you're you're putting in the context of biblical prophecy, and 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 I yes. get that. I, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with those with those uh, concepts, ideas, prophecies, whatever you want to call them. Don't you think also, though, that we can put this in a, in a more secular frame? You know, an, an awful lot of what's in the Bible is metaphor as well as literal, and just say evil. <laughs> I mean, you know, Antichrist yeah, equals absolutely. evil. Look at Donald Trump's life. What has he done other than steal from people his whole life? He, steals from, he stole from his own family. He ripped off his own brother. He stole from everybody that he could possibly steal. He stole from, from his, you know, his, when his father had uh, Alzheimer's, he got him to sign documents that, that handed most of the, his father's estate over to Donald rather than to his brothers and sister. And then he, he compares right up there with Hitler. It's, well, I don't think he's Hitler, but I, but I do think that Donald Trump is, is the antithesis of American values. He's not what this country uh, aspires to be or, or even has been, frankly, in the past. And uh, I think it's a very dangerous thing. Thomas in Roanoke, Virginia, it says here you disagree with me. What's, what's up, Thomas? Oh, I disagree with you about a litany of things. Um, but the one thing that's getting me today is the hypocrisy y'all are spewing out about, well, you're sitting there calling Donald Trump the Antichrist. No, I'm and, asking the question. Well, I don't understand. What deity do y'all pray to? I mean, is it Beelzebub, Baal, Satan, Lucifer? But, I mean, that's the only deity I would know that would support partial birth abortion. I mean, it's definitely not Jehovah, Jesus Christ, or God. So, uh, setting aside the fact that nobody gets partial birth abortion unless their life is at risk or they've got a dead baby, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a canard, Thomas. Setting that aside, you are you you are is where in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John did Jesus talk about abortion? If you want to make this about that, if this is your no, no, but that, y'all, y'all support abortion. You support partial birth abortion. Thomas, Jesus I mean, said I, very clearly that there was only he was talking to his disciples. You can read it in Matthew 25. He said they they came to him and they said, "How do we get to heaven?" Now, this was when the Romans were starting to talk about crucifying him, and they were looking at the possibility that they were all going to die. And so they said to him, we want to hang out with you. How do we do that? And he said, and he said, he said, he said, feed the hungry, heal the sick, clothe the homeless, and visit those in prison. And name for me, please, Thomas, one Republican piece of legislation in the last 40 years that has healed the sick, that has fed the hungry, that has, you know, improved the lives of people in prison. Or, you know, name one. Just one. Please, come on, Thomas, you're so religious. You're so Republican. You must know. When have the Republicans done what Jesus told them to do? Hold on. I am not a Republican. 
I am a conservative with libertarian leanings or libertarian with conservative leanings. Okay, when has a libertarian ever proposed that? I believe, I believe, I believe that I live my life, you leave me alone, you live your life, I leave you alone. What you do in your personal life is none of my concern. So you're in in favor of a woman being able to have an abortion? (laughs) My body, my choice, is that your slogan? well, if we're going to say my body, my choice, then uh, why, why are we trying to impose vaccine mandates? My body, my choice. Uh, I mean, if you want to go there with that. Well, nobody, nobody I mean, is using the force of government to say if you don't get vaccinated, oh, oh, we're going oh, to put oh, a gun to your head. Mandates, what, what, what is a vaccine mandate? It is a requirement for employment. It is not an employment, not a requirement for your life. No, 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 no. Thomas, if you show up at that, you show up at your local bank and hand hand them a note that says, you know, I've got a bomb, give me the money. You're going to have a guy walk up to you and mandate, actually mandate that that you go to jail. You know, well, it's that, that that's the law. Nobody is suggesting that anybody who doesn't get a vaccine should go to jail. Nobody is suggesting. Yeah, that. Oh, 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 yes. You want. No, we're see, saying I if you don't. I, I have. I have I, Thomas, as that, an employer, I, I am saying and I have said to my employees and, and, and as an employer, I have the right to say this. If you don't get vaccinated, I don't have to hire you. That's what the vaccine mandates are, are about. Are you going to fire them because they didn't get a vaccine? I would not work with somebody who's not vaccinated, absolutely. But I, again, I don't see what this has to do with Donald Trump being or not being the Antichrist. Well, y'all are sitting there talking about how if, he's if, the Antichrist. If somebody who has, who has, who is alleged to have raped 20 women, if somebody who has robbed his contractors and his employees, somebody who has committed multiple frauds, somebody who lied over 30,000 times, if that guy isn't something like at least a secular version of the Antichrist, who is? Okay, well, let me answer that with a question. Do you think that Joe Biden, who has been in, who's never actually held a real job, the only job he's ever had is government employment? through the Senate. Which is a real job. Do you, do, do you, it actually uh, involves work and actually involves a paycheck. Do you think that man's never lied? Do you think I, I have no, I, always told the truth? I doubt it. I, do, I, you, most people have do, told a lie at least once in their lives, Thomas. It's not even funny. But he's, he's not lying to me about things that matter to my life. Thomas, I got to run, but thank you for the call. It's always great to hear from our conservative listeners. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Kelly in Lake Havasu, Arizona. Hey, Kelly, what's on your mind today? All the talk about the Antichrist and good versus evil. This weekend, TBS ran uh, all those Star Wars movies back to back, and and I've been watching them since I was a kid. And it finally, something hit me that never hit me before, Which and maybe I'm slow on the uptake on this, but good cannot win out fully. Evil cannot win out fully. The universe requires balance. Okay. You can't get rid of it. You you just have to minimize it. So you need more people to be good to outdo the bad. Let me give you a larger and, frame and, here, Kelly. Uh, you know, if, if you look at, I mean, I, I think humans are literally the only creatures in nature who have 
this concept of good and evil. Um, uh, you know, a, a rabbit is, not, is neither good nor evil, and neither is the fox that is trying to eat the rabbit. Uh, they are simply what they are and who they are. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously these animals, particularly mammals, experience emotions, and they can experience everything from love to, to anger to shame um, and embarrassment. Uh, you know, we've all seen these with our pets and things like that. But, but good and evil, uh, I think these are you know, pretty much exclusively human constructs. And really, should they not be reframed as useful and not useful for the survival and the, and the harmony and happiness of the human race? As always, Professor, you nail it. So, you know, it seems like that's a, a place to start. I mean, <laughs> in this conversation, I, I don't mean to, to, to try to play... Uh, uh, you know, uh, 10th century theologian here, uh, <laughs> but it seems like. So anyway, you, you want to finish your point, Kelly, or did you did you make it? Well, it's, it was just the struggle throughout that series throughout, you know, and, and Lucas wrote those movies. You know, the rebels were supposed to be the Democratic Party and the evil empire was supposed to be the Republicans. Um, and, you know, neither could win. The series keeps going back and forth and back and forth on who has control and who has power. And at the very end, they were equal. Which series is this? What, um, what did I miss? Star Wars. Star Wars. You know, the oh, Luke Star Skywalker. Wars. George Lucas. Okay, now I get it. I'm sorry. Yes. I just missed those two words. Um, yeah, I, well, Star Wars is, is essentially, you know, a, a, a retelling of, you know, ancient ancient adventurer stories and ancient, you know, I'm, these are, these are memes that resonate deeply in us because I think that they, they reflect our, our experience as humans, you know, and in, in our interactions with other humans uh, over the years, George Lucas well, was a great myth maker. Well, and, and Lucas actually said that he wrote that series and portraying the rebels as the democratic party. He said and that? Yes. In an interview. And, oh. and uh, you know, the, the evil empire was supposed to be the Republican Party. And it was a warning to all of us that we better get our act together. Yeah. The empire's yeah. coming. Yeah. Well, it, well, it, it was a, a prescient warning. It was Those movies came out, what, in the 90s or was it the 80s even? No. 77 was the first one. Wow. Wow. He was yeah. genuinely ahead of his time. Kelly, thanks a lot yeah, for the sure. call. Great to hear from you. You bet. Michael in Edmond, Oklahoma. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? I, I don't know if it's been mentioned on this show or not, but the Hebrew pronunciation, the, you know, there's, there's this idea of the, the folks on the religious right now are saying that, that Trump is the new King Cyrus, and the Hebrew pronunciation of Cyrus is Koresh. Now, I'm also from Fort Worth and growing up in Fort Worth in the 80s and 90s, we all know what happens when we let somebody named Koresh be in charge of a bunch of kooks with guns and that wasn't it his birth name, well. was it? Wasn't that a name that he took on, David Koresh? I, you know, I, don't, I, I'm, I don't call myself a biblical scholar. I just know, oh, yes, oh, yeah, 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 Dave Koresh, yes. He took that on. That was part of their, that was part of their cult, right. the, the Branch Davidians down there. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, that was just kind of my, my thing on there. But here in Oklahoma, they've, uh, they have uh, 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 signed their intention to enter in the copycat abortion bill uh, as soon as the next legislative session starts up uh, first week of next month. And so we will be out there and we will have our voices be heard. Yeah. Well, good luck. Good luck with that, Michael. And, and uh, thanks for the report from Oklahoma. It sounds yeah, grim. Yeah. Good talking to you. Mark in Las Vegas. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? 
the Enlightenment is on my mind because really at the heart of so much of what's going on is a rejection of the idea of the Enlightenment, which is to question, look for evidence, draw conclusions that you can make predictions on that work. So, so much of the, the problem that we're dealing with is simply that people are rejecting critical thinking at the heart of it. They're rejecting the ability to accept the modern world at all. Well, you know what the major conflict of the Enlightenment was, was basically science versus religion. So here we are. Right. All right. Over again. And we're still, still having that today. I know that people want to be kind to religion, but once you accept the idea that you can turn sticks into snakes and other kinds of ridiculous things, all things become possible, including drinking your own urine to solve a disease. There's a lot there. Uh, drinking your own urine actually is an old Ayurvedic, uh, you know, uh, a guy yeah, used to drink that. Yeah. It, it, well, it was. Yeah, it's, it it it's may actually. I, I don't even want to get into this. <laughs> yeah, no, but, no, no, no. That's but, fine. You know, that's apparently, fine, but... apparently uh, urine has antifungal uh, components in it, which is why people typically don't get fungal infections in their urethras, uh, even though they're constantly moist. But yeah, drinking but urine for ivermectin know, is crazy. But but to your sure. point of, of religion. Religion is, I think, built into us. It, it, and there's different pieces to it. Part of it is that we all have a need to explain things we don't understand. And religion has filled that gap for a long, long time. And that was the major, major conflict of the Enlightenment was when science started to explain things that we didn't understand or that we couldn't right. see. Right. It collided with our previous explanation system. So you've got that, which is kind of the rational right. aspect of religion. Then on top of that, right. you've got this sense of awe and the divine that we have almost all, I think probably everybody has experienced that moment. You know, I remember when my first child was born, it knocked me down. I mean, just, just the, the I, I was sobbing. I mean, just the, this experience of birth Walking out at night and looking up at the stars in the sky. For me, frankly, being in church. I mean, you know, I get these, I, I just get overcome by feeling of what I would describe as love. I don't know what, I, you know, it's, you know, I have experienced that. I consider myself spiritual at the very least. And I think that's common to all of us. And so, you know, religion is touching both those nerves. It's really hard to just discard it, Mark. You can't do that. Well, except for the fact that uh, that the very idea of the Enlightenment is to replace just the idea of feeling an emotion about a thing with thinking about it. So we have taken the Earth from the center of the universe to the third planet of one star of hundreds of billions of stars in our very own galaxy. You know, we just really in the past two hundred years, by the way. Right, right. So the idea is, is that the area that religion occupies is shrinking as our knowledge increases. Yes, which is what so happened during the Enlightenment. My sense of awe is that a universe that we still can go looking for explanations of. And the James Webb Telescope is the most important thing that mankind has done to this point. I cannot disagree with that, Mark. I, brilliant observation. Thank you. Thank you for the call. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.